Hey everyone, it's Greg Campion here. Welcome to another episode of Intentional Wisdom. My guest today is John Finkel. John is an award-winning author, most known for his work in the world of sports, where he's written a number of books with and about athletes like Charlie Ward, Nate Robinson, Mean Joe Green, and many more. John has also written for GQ, Men's Health, Yahoo Sports, and the New York Times, among many other news outlets. He's also a regular presence on many popular radio shows and podcasts. Now, I wanted to have John on this show, not to talk about the 86 Red Sox or the 96 Bulls, although those are very interesting topics, but rather to understand how he's managed to build a career that has really been true to who he is as a person. Um, I really admire John's record of just making things happen, of not asking for permission, but rather just going out and, as he says, creating himself from a career standpoint, as a dad, even with his fitness. You know, John's got some really unique uh, gems of advice that he shares in the following conversation. So I think you'll really enjoy that. Um, now, let me warn you in advance, we do still talk a decent bit about sports in this episode. So if that's not your thing, don't worry. John or I will not be mad at you if you decide to listen to The Daily or Tim Ferriss or something else. We get it. But listen, I really enjoyed spending time with John and I hope you'll enjoy the conversation too. Before we get started, just a quick plug for my newsletter, Intentional Wisdom. Remember, it's one email every two weeks with the best ideas that I'm learning from people like John on careers, habits, motivation, all that stuff. The link is in the show notes if you want to check that out. And uh, okay, that's enough intro. Here's John Finkel. All right, John Finkel, welcome to the uh, Intentional Wisdom Podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm psyched to have you. Uh, so I think I was looking back and I think I only actually first came across your work a couple of months ago. And uh, I started noticing you on Twitter, which is actually funny because it's kind of a common theme for a lot of the guests that I have on this podcast. Um, but I came across your work. You were you're posting really original, unique stuff. A lot of it sports related, um, and and a lot of the stuff that sort of uh, kind of overlaps with with you know my interests. In, you know specifically things like. Uh, focusing on fitness and focusing on, you know, motivation and, and all that kind of stuff. But the real kicker for me was when I saw that you had written a book about the year 1996, which is a, which is a, a year that was uh, extremely near and dear to me because I graduated high school that year. And uh, I've since received that book in the mail from you. So I'm holding it right here. Thank you very much. I love the cover. It's sort of a, a vintage looking uh, t-shirt looking type cover. Um, but, uh, but anyhow, I really love the stuff that you're doing, really interested and excited to talk to you about it today. So, so, um, you have built, I guess, what many would consider kind of a, a dream career in that you, uh, get to spend your days writing books, uh, specifically writing books about sports and, you know, interviewing, uh, sports stars and, you know, athletes and all that kind of stuff. So, I would just like to understand maybe how you even got into all that in the first place. So, so maybe tell me a little bit about the John Finkel origin story before we really get going. Yeah, sure. And, and real quick, every time someone brings up the cover of 1996, I have to, I have to thank you. This was a full on like Rams butting heads battle with my publisher over what I wanted uh -huh. on there. The first several drafts 
were just not it. And I knew the whole time I just wanted something yeah. that was vintage. I wanted like property of those t-shirts or one yeah. design was like yeah. those game yeah. hats that we had where it said 96, but it was tough to read. Yep. And so oh, it was cool, been cool that too. the problem was, uh, it was just the byline, the subtitle into the part where it said like University of South Carolina, it was just too small. It, and then when you stretched out, it didn't look like they had anymore. Yeah. But yeah, anyway, yeah. thank you for noticing. Yeah. Yeah. I have to call it out. It's just like, cla it's just like a classic look to it. Yeah. In my head, I was like, you know, I, I've always been, all the books I've done, I, I treat the cover like a movie poster. And I think the book has to have a visceral feel before you even know the words. Like, oh, that brings you back to this or reminds me of that. And that yeah. just, it matters. It, you know, the whole don't judge a book by a cover is complete bullshit. It matters 100%. Everybody does. The <laughs> second you see it, you're instantly making judgments. And I wanted that book yeah. to do it. So, so before I give, thank you for, for noticing. It was awesome. It was 25 emails I, back and forth and, and fights and things <laughs> with me and my agent and all these people. So we got it and, and it paid off. <laughs> um, the origin story, you know, the simple version is I read a ton as a kid. I devoured the Matt Christopher books. I devoured all the library, all the biographies I could find in our school library. I was I was the dorky kid who'd like walk up to the librarian and be like, do we have the Mickey Mantle biography? Did the Willie Mays come in yet? Mm -hmm, Did this mm -hmm. one, Ricky Henderson or whatever? I collected, yep. you know, yep. baseball cards. I was a stat geek. I obviously played every sport imaginable growing up. My best sport was actually swimming, but like I was still into football, basketball, baseball. I played all those through school. And in from the writing side, it just, it you know, I got, I used to get the Sports Illustrated. I'd get when ESPN, the magazine came out. And, and growing up, these things mattered. You know, we had, we were a big, a, a reading household. You know, my dad, was always, yep. my dad traveled yep. a lot, but he always had books wherever he went. And he'd come home with two or three books. And, and my grandfather um, was a big reader. And, and when I went and visited him, we used to, he lived in Florida. And we lived in a group in Massachusetts. I was listening in Boston. And so when I'd go visit him, he would, you know, when I was old enough, 10, 11, 12, he would, he got me, you know, Robert B. Parker's Spencer novels about the Boston detective. And, and I just got into yeah, reading yeah, and yeah. I was, I was always the, the, like, it sounds cliche, but I was the kid who the parents would say good night. And I'd say good night and then pop the flashlight or my reading light and just read for two hours. And, and it's isn't to say yeah, that I didn't, yeah. you know, watch sports center and do it, which I did of course, as I got older, but, but I think the origins, which mm -hmm, you asked mm -hmm. are definitely from I don't know why I, I couldn't, I, I guess somewhere it was a conscious choice. I liked being the one who would say like, oh, actually, you know, Mickey Mantle did have this many home runs or whatever. Yeah. Or Ted Williams did hit 406 and here's what happened the last game. It was a doubleheader and he played. Like, I liked knowing those little facts, um, but it just was something in, inside of me that thankfully my parents nurtured and I just over the years realized. So I fed that fire of books. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, that kind of, you know, brings to mind this kind of idea for me of like, you know, reading material that's like left around the house. Cause I, I think that was a big influence for me too. Cause I was, um, you know, we subscribed, I want to say to sports illustrated, but like some of the, some of the things that jump out to me were like, I remember we had, uh, we had Newsweek magazine, uh, always around the house. And it's kind of funny cause my, my parents, you know, bought these, bought these magazines for themselves, obviously. But, you know, as you start to, you know, get fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, you know, you're sitting around the house and you start reading this stuff and it starts uh, influencing you. And I, and I actually think that, you know, just reading some of those weekly magazines really influenced me and probably influenced like my writing and uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it's kind of interesting for me to just to hear about like what was laying around, you know? Yeah. So for me. Um, and this is, I, I kind of lucked out in the, in the golden era of some of this writing stuff. So growing up in Boston, 
This is like, you know, we didn't move to New Jersey till 92 or 93. So this is late 80s, early 90s. So where, where in Boston? Where uh, this is in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts, where, where I grew Shrewsbury. up. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm in Shrewsbury and um, my dad's getting Sports Illustrated, you know, Rick Riley and all these guys that I'm reading and all this. But yeah, really yeah. The, the morning ritual, which I still have brought back is the morning paper, yeah. right? Yeah. The back then, and anyone listening who knows exactly where I'm going with this from a sports fan, I mean, this is Bob Ryan, this is Peter Gammons, this is Dan mm -hmm. Shaughnessy, you know, uh, this is Jackie McMullen. This is the this is one of yep. maybe this is the murderer's row of of sports journalism all in yep. one paper yep. in Boston covering some of the those, some of them still going strong. Some still going way. strong, yeah, for sure. And, yeah. and 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 at the time, you know, you've got they the Bird Celtics, a huge team to cover. The Patriots weren't great. The Bruins were really impressive yep. at the time. You know, the Red Sox, it was right after 86 and the choke in the World Series. So there was really nothing, but there was still these these giant scribes. And it was when you'd wake up and you'd see their, you know, their black and white caricature in the paper. Their job just seemed unbelievable. So, you know, so they just go to Red Sox games and write about the Red Sox games and yeah. interview Roger Clemens and Oil Cam Boyd yeah. and Wade Boggs. <laughs> and this is what they do. This is a job. And yeah. it's like, well, yeah. yeah, but, you know, there's only like six of them in every city, right? And. Back then, there was you know, the Globe and the Herald. There was way more papers and opportunities for for newspapers. But, but that idea opened up my mind to, so you can wake up and do what you want, as opposed to just mm. sitting in an office somewhere doing something you don't want. And again, there's a million steps to get there. But if you don't have that framework in your head of what's possible, then it's not. And you also need to have parents who don't just say that's for other people like yeah you're gonna mm -hmm. you're gonna go mm -hmm. right into finance what once again people love finance fine but for someone like me they're like so that i can't do that and they were always very encouraging telling me you know you absolutely can now they had no connections didn't know anybody to know how people you know newspaper men back then and women you know you made money in tv but you could make six figures easy i mean bob ryan those guys made a lot of money they were the face of a city almost for, for some of these things so being a, a columnist working way up to that was it's funny because none of it happened because the whole industry changed but my original goal if you had told asked me then was like love the right you know cover stories and things for sports illustrated or be like the big name columnist in a big sports city yeah 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 okay so what so what is that what did that path actually end up looking like for you like so to talk me through like the, the kind of first jobs out of college all that kind yeah of so stuff. i was a, i was um i was a worker man like all through high school I, I lifeguarded for some i played i played football in high school swam but like my i did construction every summer roofing demo like i was a dude like i just was i was, That's good. was I, I love that yeah. I, lo I i i was i was similar i was like working from like age 15 probably and like i had i have probably like a you know 10 job long list of of random jobs from like landscaping to like convenience store worker like but i love i love it like i it was it was formative and it was like it, it i i personally you know maybe this is like cliche but i think i think it like teaches you the value of a dollar right and earning earning your any own day money. that i'm sitting and i'm on deadline and well it's 10 o'clock 11 i had to write i remember roofing i remember roofing yeah. in the summer you know you anytime you, you anyone who lives in a neighborhood anywhere and you look up yeah. and it's 94 and there's a group of dudes uh, on the roof with the tar yeah. and the tack and the nail gun yeah. and the knee pads. And they're just drenched and they're hoping not to fall Especially off. Especially where you and I are, where in we Florida were. and North Carolina. Oh, right? I mean, That's... so having done that, this is cream cheese, man. Like, it's wonderful to be able to do that. And so, you know, you have to find other ways to force yourself physically with lifting and things that we can talk about later. But like. So I did that. And this isn't to say I was just a self-motivated dude. I was as lazy as every other teenage kid. My dad would, you know, 
the reason I had these jobs is because my dad would see our landscaper and be like, can my son work for you? Like get him out of the house and work. And when we did a addition on our house, he was like, hey, you're, my son's going to like go on other job sites with you. And I worked for that guy for several summers. So it wasn't like I was just as get after it, get up, wake up. I want to make money. Yeah, it was yeah, definitely a kick in the ass. Like go, yeah, yeah. You're, you're not going to sit around the house all summer. But eventually I did settle into the idea of, of writing. And so for the, I went to school at James Madison University in Virginia and, mm -hmm. you know, hindsight, great school. I had tons of friends, enjoyed myself, but like terrible school for writing it. You know, not near a big city, no deep bench right. of like alumni who'd written anywhere, or written any books that I heard of and none of the professors. I, I do this now because I've spoken at a ton of colleges and yeah. um, it's my big knock on schools is, is they require, especially for writers and creators, most of the time, unless you're, you know, Matthew McConaughey, uh, you know, they require a, a PhD or a, a master's or something in the field. And, hmm. and it's just stupid because what it do is you keep out working writers who are actually going to tell the kids how to have a career in writing. It's, it's truly one of the dumbest things in education is you'd sit there hmm. in class and ask, so how do I write for Sports Illustrator? How do I write for the LA Times? And, well, I don't know. I've never written any. I just teach writing, right? right? And it's like, well, how do I submit a book? I have this book idea. What do I do? Oh, I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just do academic books. Like it was just it, yeah. early on, it was frustrating. I thought about transferring, but it's expensive and it's just a pain. So I didn't. Mm -hmm. um, and all the while over the summer back then, what I would do is I would come home, I would work um, construction or whatever I was doing. And then I had an internship at um, local newspapers. So I would go, it was like six hours a day. I would be like, my day was like 8 a.m. to, you know, two. And then from whatever in the afternoon, I would go do, I'm sorry, it was 8 a.m. to like two or three, I would do construction or whatever I was doing. And then I would do the afternoon because the print edition back then, they actually printed things, was until like yeah. eight o'clock. So I would go spend like four hours at the paper, you know, mm -hmm. doing what editing, writing, you know, making, doing local stories on the, the bear that's in the backyard or, you know. Was this the, I, I remember you posted on Twitter, like a front page of a yeah, local paper that not was long back ago. Then. It was okay. Yeah, okay. so there was, you're like every story was written. That by was me, hilarious. Yeah, that was. Yeah, you noticed that 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 was what it was like for local papers. So usually with with the business of local news, they they try to they have a, a core down the line of every paper so they can sell ads the widest circulation possible. And then they what they have is called stringers or beat writers to just flesh out the areas. So one guy might own the rights to eight towns, you know, the Northridge and Ridgewood and Waldwick or whatever the towns were. And each paper would go to just that, you know, zip code and it would have their title on it. But the middle 70% was just local ads for whatever, restaurants, cable companies, yep. landscaping, whatever. And then the front six pages were local news that they'd pay someone like me 10 cents a word to write if, if I was lucky. And then the back would be the same thing or they would have a local high school co game covered or something. So, so yeah, that's exactly what it was. I would have every time I, I would be the guy who would go when you actually printed you have this big layout board and you would take an exacto knife and cut out the pages how you want them to look and stick them onto this big giant slab and it would fold up and mm. I would drive them to the printer at eight o'clock at night or 10 o'clock at night. And then they would actually put it on the press. And again, I'm not, this isn't like 1935. This is 1990s. Yeah, right. I know. Like, oh, this, yeah, this is how man. they did it. It was a local printing yeah. press. Um, and then it would come up the press and I would always laugh because, and a couple of times I would eventually, uh, I would make up bylines because it looked stupid it was like dude i can't write seven you know seven stories it would be like john fickle john fickle john fickle and then you open it up and be like <laughs> interview with the town you know the hall by john fickle and it was so and i, I just happened yeah, that I was, yeah. I was fast and so anyway it does build work ethic and, and it makes yeah, you write yeah. quickly especially if you're the only one but it is looking back funny because i look and i was like oh three front page stories local news awesome and i almost remember thinking i'd like I'm going to get a check for 60 bucks. That's 20 bucks a story. Like this is big time, you know? 
Nice. It's uh, well, it's, there's something yeah. to be said for something to be said for really having your name like that. I, I don't know if it's recognition or uh, ego. Because I remember Straight writing for. Ego. I'm, yeah, well, I remember just even writing for like my school uh, college newspaper, and uh, I went to just a small school called Stonehill College up in Massachusetts, and um, and you know, there's something to be said for having your name like on the front page, and you know, this opinion piece that you wrote and something like that. Yep. That's I, I always liked it. Maybe it is ego. I don't know. It's all ego. I think there's uh, there's definitely like a, a um a passion to it, and there's definitely like a pride to it. Um, but at the end of the day, I think what drives it is like your name is there. People are reading your name, especially in a local thing. I mean, obviously in a national setting, it's way cooler, but when it's local yeah, yeah. and you're just going to your local Dunkin' or, you know, out there, you know, whatever your, your bagel shop, whatever your diner is yeah, and yeah. they have the stack of things and, and people are just flipping through it. And it's like, oh, they're reading my story in the landscaping crew that, you know, ditched the whole, you know, the, whatever, like <laughs> they're reading my studio. And it was all you know, such small stuff, like the local yeah, shot yeah. putter who broke 60 feet for the first time in the county. What, what, what about the, what about the police blotter? Did you have to do you know that? What? Well? That was always the most interesting I, part I, of the You know, I didn't newspaper. do the police blotter. There was a guy, who, you know, okay. there were these old timers. If you go to these local papers and, and thankfully yeah. some of them are still around. This is there's dudes whose life and women whose life's local journalism and and they usually yeah, did the yeah. police plotter thing because they knew the police chief of whatever small town it was. Okay, and did all okay. That. So, I just remember growing up there was there was a uh, there was an ordinance in our town. I think it was called ten nine. Yeah. And ten nine was like underage drinking, and you always opened up the paper to be like, all right, who got ten nine this week? Well, the thing right? was the the secret to that was so that's a very easy job. You just have the scanner on and you're listening to what's happening, right? But yeah, yeah. they were like, you know, the older people making who knows what, nothing, 26 grand a year or something, you know, to, to still work at the local paper. Um, they're like, yeah, I'll do this. You go cover the town hall vote on the reservoir, right? It's like, oh, yeah, because right. that's way worse right. than you're just at least sitting <laughs> here. I'm driving out to some lame, you know, high school, uh, you know, guidance camp room where there's seven people sitting voting on whether the reservoir should, you know be let out six inches instead of a foot. Yeah. It was just the worst, yeah, most yeah, boring yeah. minutiae. That's that that sounds a little rough. All right. So tell so so fast forward through so, sort of getting your start there and um, you know, writing for local papers through to then uh the point where you were kind of writing for but like more national magazines and starting to kind of orient more towards sports and all that. Like how did all that Yeah. Come so about? I always wanted to move to LA. That was my, my, uh, I wanted to write movies. I thought I just, I just wanted to get out of the Northeast. I've hated winter forever. Mm -hmm. Um, we moved around a lot when I was a kid, but I just, I'd always had this idea all through high school and college of moving to California. So I set it up. Like I knew a friend of a friend, friend of my dad's friend's son. I was going to crash on his couch. This was the only person in California that I knew. Um, I had called a million <laughs> production companies. I, I landed an internship at this place called Licked Miller Films, which uh, their their two big films were Cable Guy with Jim Carrey and Waterworld, which was like their big, big one. It was oh, yeah. uh, this guy, Andy Licht, who graduated from the UCLA Film School. So I got a, a, a internship there. Um, and that was my first job job. And I thought I wanted to write screenplays. So my job there was basically to do covers, which is treatments, which is you'd read a screenplay and write like one page on whether it's good or bad. And I got a good sense of how difficult the industry was because every day would be a new pile, 15 screenplays. And my only job was to read them and say whether I liked them or not. And who the hell was I? But it was just at least somebody mm -hmm. to get it to the producer who might like it to get it to the executive producer. So you know, one out of 50 was like interesting wow. in my, early on. Yeah. And this is a good writing lesson. You know, when I was like, how do I go through all these? And, and I remember the, the big dog, 
executive producer came in. He was a really nice guy, younger at the time. In my, my head, he was young, old, but he was like 30. And he's like, mm-hmm. they're all shit. If you are, if five pages in, you don't even care, just don't, because I was like, in my head, I have to read like all of these. And he's like, right. the yeah. opening page, if it doesn't grab you, if they don't yep. spend enough time to grab you on the opening page, they don't deserve it. And if by page five, you're still not into it, just, just put it in the pot. And so mm-hmm. it always kind of, even when I write magazine articles or books or whatever, it's like that first page, even though it might be a 300 page book, like really better be good because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. people will bail on you if it isn't. Yep. Well, you nailed that in, in 96. Cause I, I was, well, I was actually, uh, I was actually listening to the audio version before I got the, uh, oh, cool. before I got the, the print version. I was, and I was hitting golf balls at the driving range when I started it. And I, I was, I think people, I was getting some weird looks cause I was cracking <laughs> up at the first, all the, the game hat references oh, and the day. no Thank fear you. t-shirts and all that. I was like, oh my God, this guy was, this guy was in my high school bedroom. I like know. this is where everything that was, this was that setting. That I was guess. the comment when I did, you know, I did, when we did the media tour for the book, um, so many, especially I did a lot of local radio, like, you know, just local sports radio, like dozens and dozens of those. Right. Yeah. And so many yep. of them were like, were you in my bedroom, dude? Because I had all that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know. I had that. All my friends had that. I basically wrote, this book is for us. This is not some giant broad book for like society. Yeah. This is for dudes in high school in the nineties. Sure. There were some women who were really into sports like this, but this was basically for guys like us. And that was the demo I, I, I hoped to hit. So anyway, so yeah, so I did these, I did, I was working at the, the production company and um, I got a job on a lot called Hollywood Center Studios. And on that lot was a show that I used to watch all the time called The Man Show. And then I got a job, oh, yeah. ta- I talked my way, I met, I was building the office furniture was my job. It wasn't like a sexy job. But okay. I was building the offices for, it turned out, Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla and their producer. And mm-hmm. I had my Red Sox hat on and Jimmy Kimmel's a big sports fan. And so was Carolla and we sat to talking and I talked my way into like a production assistant job, like the lowest of awesome. the low. 60 bucks a day, go get fruit, go get lunch, make copies, you know, so-and-so's on the set, drive them closer, mm-hmm. that job. And I did that for a year. And what I learned there was obviously those guys are hilarious. And it was a dream job for a 22 year old with the juggies and the, I mean, people listening, some people don't know what it was, but it was just a, the whole entire yeah. show would be canceled, right? It would never make it, the, the first <laughs> script would never make it to air. Um, right. Every joke was right. off color and off putting and yeah. whatever. So, but at the time it was awesome. And, uh, and I didn't want to, I started submitting things for the show, like skits and bits and a couple, you know, were transformed or sort of made it somewhere on air or something. But I realized I really wanted to write under my name. That was what drew me early on for the magazines mm-hmm. and newspapers. Mm-hmm. Ego, just, I had my own voice and I wasn't great at writing for Jimmy. I wasn't great at writing for Adam. It was my own humor. Again, I wasn't nearly as funny as these guys. I worked with um, cousin Sal, who you know, a lot of people know, who just was so great at that. Like he could write a joke for Jimmy and a joke for Adam, totally different senses of humor, totally different delivery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he could do that and for himself, right? Like he just had that. And and so I noticed like I really just wanted to write under my name. So I started submitting articles to the magazines that I read, Men's Fitness, Men's Health, Muscle and Fitness. Sports Illustrated was just too lofty. I couldn't even wrap my brain around how to get there at the time. And incredible story. My very first pitch to Men's Fitness got sold. So it was, a, it was an actual mail pitch. Wow. I, I printed it up and my, the, yep. the thing was, um, my lead was, I'm white, I'm 5'11". I have always wanted to dunk. I'm going to do it. I'm going to write about how. I'm going to contact the UCLA strength coach and the USC strength coach, and I'm going to do everything in my power to finally dunk while I'm still somewhat in my prime. And the guy wrote back Love was it. like, okay, so do it. And he gave me 800 bucks or something to spend three months trying to dunk. 
And that was my first article that I ever sold. Um, and it was my That's very first fantastic. one that I sent. And it was like, I remember getting home. This is, you know, again, I had people had email, but it wasn't used regularly. I had like a machine, an answering machine. And it was like, hey, John, this is Jerry Candela from Men's Fitness. I just got your pitch. And I was like, I said it yesterday because they were in Woodland Hills. I was like, holy shit, I can't yeah. believe. And they pitched wow. it. Wow. Um, so I'm like, this is easy. Like, I can just write for everybody. So the article comes out. I'm, I'm using that as like a byline pitch to parlay to bigger places. Um, I think you need to tell us if you if you successfully dunked it. I did. The... I did. This was, oh, wow. I could okay. spend a whole episode with you talking about it. This workout was ludicrous. Like, and I'm, right. I'm, I'm the height I said, I'm, I'm just I'm 5'11". As everybody says, I, I'm just under six feet. Everybody who's like 5'10 above, but I'm not six feet. I was a good athlete, played football. Like I was a good athlete, above average. Um, and this was like jumping with bricks in my hands in the pool, like rocky stuff, oh, wow. like power cleans, like lunges, this full on like three week preload, postload, then a full week off of recovery with plyo and strength explosive stuff. So anyway, okay. um, I did, wasn't pretty, you know, I got up, I got over, I got it down. Um, but like I pulled my hamstring the fourth or fifth day after trying to do like cool dunks and, um, <laughs> like that put me back. And then was the article was over and I recovered. I like lost a lot of it. Cause I had to do like, it went like a month without yeah. legs basically. Now is there, is there exist, existing video footage? So there's no you, video because uh, nobody okay. had, you know, cell phones, but my, yeah, my, yeah. my best friend from college lived with me at the time and we had another roommate and they were with me. So I have, I have witnesses. Okay. They didn't see it. Okay. They know it wasn't pretty. They counted it. I was just thinking for your kids, yeah, you know, yeah, for yeah, your yeah. kids benefit, it might be nice. No, to they that. saw it. Um, and to this day, they're like, we give it to you because for the purposes of what you were doing, like you did do it, but we'd never be like fickle can dunk. Like right, it was right, a one right, time right, you right. got it down, but it was not pretty, but it happened. Um, right. Anyway, that's my favorite tangent on that. So anyway, once I got hurt, I, I, by the time I got back, I was like, I'm not going through this again. I mean, I was in like the LA fitness pool with like 15 pound weights, like blasting up off. Like I looked like just a moron. Like who cares? I was 23 already. I love I love how committed you were to it. Dad. Like I, I, I kind of have a little bit in, of that in me as well, just in terms of like, I love to oh, like do this kind of self experimenting like you know i'll get really into intermittent fasting or really into a certain workout routine yeah. and i like to kind of talk about that stuff like in my newsletter or this podcast places like that but i love to like use myself as a you know the guinea pig well that's what this is that, so. where this was a big moment at least for in my little world of my, my my career because um i i established myself as someone who was like willing to go do all this stuff for like for the sake of fitness, so like a George Plimpton of fitness, right? Like whatever the crazy workout people were doing, I was young and athletic enough and strong enough to like go give it a shot and make it work. Yeah. So, so while this is going on, like I said, I land my article with men's fitness. I'm psyched. So I pitch and it's like desert for the next six months. I can't land an article. Like it did not yeah. do anything for me. The only other piece I got was like a briefcase review for men's fitness. Like I went from like, oh, one for one to like one for like 30 pitches everywhere across okay. the board. I couldn't okay. get one. So you got humbled. Big time. I'm like, dude, so all you do, here's how you do, here's how you become a writer. You just write an idea to a magazine and they give you a story like months and months. So that's when I started writing. I was like, yeah. well, so I started writing for the local papers in Santa Monica. Like I needed to keep my foot in the door there while I yeah. was doing all this stuff. And then eventually I got enough bylines there. There was, there's, an, there's a website called um, Hoops Hype right now that still exists. The USA Today bought that I was one of the first writers for to cover basketball. So I'm writing for you know, 10 bucks a story, like just nothing. 
uh, but mm -hmm. I'm pitching all the time. And finally, the editor-in-chief at Men's Fitness, the one who actually gave me a break, left. New guy comes in. Um, at the time, they'd only put like fitness models on the cover. It's funny, the, the first article I wrote for, I was looking at it, had like a young, jacked, full of hair Joe Rogan on the cover. Like it, I was looking at it the other day because <laughs> I was thinking like- Oh, I got to see that. Yeah. I can't even picture him. He was, and it was like, stage. you know, he was a comedian. He just did Fear Factor. He actually, the only reason yeah, I knew him yeah. was because of the man show. He, he had taken over for Kim and Corolla. Oh, so this is 2000. Okay. I, remember, I remember him on Fear Factor, but yeah. I don't remember the He did man one show of the man, one, one season okay. of the man show. This is a whole different Rogan, but like it's much half the size, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyways, an aside, but I happened to, he's looking at some of the magazines the other day. I was looking for an old article and I saw that and I was like, oh, that's funny that like this guy who funny. was, you know, obviously successful, but not what he is now just to get, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, so I, the new guy wanted to put athletes on the cover and I have to give a shout out. So I was like, I'll do it. I'll find one. Like, just let me do it first. And he had a million writers he could have picked. And I was like, we'll do an NFL guy. And it, the reason I said this because like my and I'm, my giving him big hats at my best friend growing up Eddie Koblenz had just gotten a job at the NFL Players Association, so my mind was like he just got a job there. I need this. Like I'm going to tell him what this is. It's a big time like cover story revamp for the whole magazine. We want to put an athlete on the cover. We want to put an NFL guy on the cover. Eddie hooked me up. Like we started. We talked. We had. I mean, we wanted at the time Jeremy Shockey. We wanted you know all these guys. And we ended yeah. up with um, Tiki Barber, who was kind of perfect. New York Giants, nice, he was a star nice. back then, running He's back. He's got a cover cover model look Cover to him model look, that, handsome. Uh, gleaming smile. And he agreed. And so, funny enough, um, it was in New York. Of all, so I was like, oh, well. So I flew to New York, spent like a day with him. It was my first big like celebrity day. Cool. Did the interview. We had some friends, mutual friends. I had a couple friends who played football at UVA who he knew. So there was a little bit of stuff there. Anyway, that cover story came out and it did great. And I can I can share with you. It's like a really cool cover story. I have all the my friend Eddie, like they had a big launch event to redo the magazine. So I have pictures of me and Tiki with the magazine. Like it was a really big That's moment awesome. for me. I yeah. was 24 or 23. Like it was huge. Um wow. and uh and then I got to do like the next six or eight cover stories for them. Like I wasn't getting paid wow. a lot, but I did yeah. like Carl Malone and then Mike Madonna and Roy Jones Jr. and and I kept going. And then as all magazines happened, like that guy got fired, they went a different direction. <laughs> Um, ah. but I had this in my pocket. So then I got to write for yeah, GQ. Yeah. I went and like took all my wares to GQ. They, they were, they had a back. It's so different back then. They had like open calls for like, we need a new magazine columnist. And if anybody wants to do that, like within the world, it wasn't like they posted, but like editors would reach out mm -hmm, to other editors. Mm -hmm. And I got this job as the body guru. You would love this. All I did was answer health and fitness. Like the crazy, they, whoever would write in the craziest health and fitness question, I would answer three a month. I would find the experts or try the thing and write about it so i had that that was actually oh, that's cool that was a very well-paying pretty easy like every month column i did it for about a year um yeah, yeah. and it was really that's cool and you're kind of getting you're kind of getting paid to like stay in shape too yeah yeah and again none of this it's you know i was luckily i was young and living with my brother and had no money like none of this is sustainable you're not making right, anything right, right. I mean, at the end of the year right you know and i'm freely i'm hustling my ass off all over them writing a bunch yeah. of articles no one ever heard of for very very small places i'm making more doing like the hustling copywriting stuff than I am on the big signature things people are reading, which is always the conundrum yep. for magazine writing. Mm, um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, but I got those and then parlayed those just into bigger and bigger things. I wrote for Men's Health for a while, the same kind of articles for Men's Fitness. And then I got a book series, which really gave me some stability. I got a book series for the NBA for their Read to Achieve program. Um, it was like it was like a Beavis and Butthead type basketball kids like cartoon kids doing the like narrating the biographies of nba stars so yeah, i did yeah. all of them i got a 12 book deal four books a year for three years 
Shaq, Kobe, Iverson, Garnett, Jason Kidd, LeBron's rookie year, all that stuff. So that was oh, okay. I didn't realize you'd done that. Okay. Yeah, it was a long are time those ago. Still, are those still like out there? Like, can you, you get there? It's funny. So they're not. The, there's someone on eBay and Amazon that are like thousands wow. of dollars because they were not very many printed. What happened was, and again, publishing is so dumb. So the company that I worked for bought the license from the NBA contingent on it being distributed by, by Borders Books, which was great when Borders Books Borders, was in business. Yeah, yes. It was a rival to Barnes & Noble. Nobody thought twice. It yeah. was sold in only two places, the arenas of the players. So Shaq's book at the time, he was with the Heat, sold in Miami's arena and sold in Borders yeah. Books. Borders goes under. They maintain the rights to some of these things while they go under, and we can't do any more books. So they uh we had a series of nba books i was gonna i mean nfl baseball we had a whole thing i had like a 10-year plan oh. who knows what if it all worked out anyway um unfortunately they're, they're available i have sets my brother has a set um i think there's some around i've seen them in libraries randomly somebody will be like dude i took my kid to the library and here's this but unfortunately they're they're not they should around. like put them up as uh ebooks or something like that because like uh i was just thinking like my 10 year old would, dude, would love, love them they like would that. love them i've i've so i've talked to the owner of that company the issue is the NBA license runs out after a certain time. And in order to reprint, redo, you're basically spending, you know, millions and millions again on the license. I've thought about hmm. it. It's just, I think there's a world where it's awesome and would work. I don't have the, yep. the time to really figure it out, but like you have a whole new set. You have 20 years of athletes. You know, you do Steph Curry, you do all these guys and it's totally different. It's not a straight kid biography. There's the two characters are, they're named T minus and Lil hops. And they're just these okay. like street kids who love hoops and they yeah. make goofy play on words jokes and they, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll show you one later, but um, okay. they're okay. awesome. They're yeah, really cool. cool. I feel, my kids cool. love them. My, my son loves them. My, my niece and nephews love them. Like they're really cool. Um, it's just, I think the, the, the mechanics to get it done is, is difficult these days. Got it. Got it. All right. So um, kind of a whirlwind tour through your, through your early days in your twenties. So you get, you, um, let, let me let me fast forward a little bit, maybe to you know some of the books uh, that you've been working on, kind of more recently in your career. And and I don't necessarily want to focus on like one book in particular. I'm I'm interested if there's like stories that jump out to you. But like two of the things that I'm I'm curious about is you know one is you at a spe especially at a kind of an early age were put in a position where okay you're having exposure to. You know, you mentioned Tiki Barber, but I think the list goes on and on, uh, as especially as your career went on and on in terms of the the kind of caliber of athletes that you had exposure to. So I'm curious about um, if you ever felt sort of like an imposter syndrome when it comes to that, uh, because what one thing that I've kind of noticed, especially as I talk to more and more, you know, really successful people across every field, I keep being surprised by uh, people's levels of imposter syndrome and, and feeling like, oh, do I really belong here or should this really be me sort of thing? So I'm curious about that. This is kind of a two-part question. I'm curious about that. And I'm also curious about, did, did you learn anything? I'm sure you've learned tons, but the art of asking questions and how to get some of these people to open up. So take yeah. that in any order. So the, I'll do, start with the, the first one. The question one's very important because it really helps you for anything you're trying to do in any field. How to how to have a real good conversation will save your life, like will save your career in any career you're in. So we can, I'll do that one next from the, from the imposter syndrome part. Sports are humbling in the way that like, obviously you, you, you like sports. I do. 
if given a choice early on, I would just like to be, you know, the Celtics shooting guard. Like that would be a great career. Like I don't have, yep. Yep. if you're asking me, would I rather write about the Celtics or write about the Red Sox or just play left field for the Red Sox for 12 years? Every kid's going to be like, yeah, it's way easier. Well, do. that's where my, my 10 year old is right at the cusp there right yes. now, because his, he's said, I'm going to be a Red Sox player. I'm going to be a Red yeah. Sox player. I'm going to be a Red Sox player. And just this past couple of weeks, he said, dad, I don't, it's really, really hard. Yeah, wait to till he sees a, a curveball from a 12 year old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's a little bit sad that coming to that realization, but I guess it has to happen at some point. So to 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 answer that, it's it's hard to have imposter syndrome around athletes because you really can't do what they're doing. So the 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 good part of this is, I always felt comfortable, especially in the sports world, because I was an athlete, and mm-hmm. I've always felt you're you you're a workout guy, you're a meathead, like. If you walk in, especially when you're younger, now it matters too, but if you're fit, they, they know you get part of their lifestyle. I really believe this. I, I don't care. It doesn't mean if you're a man or a woman. If, you, if you're in shape and you exercise regularly, especially if you're kind of built and you're interviewing any of the athletes, they're instantly going to give you subconsciously or consciously just that little head nod of, all right, this, they, get, they get the grind. This guy obviously works out clearly. So what I would always do is talk about that. I always started with the workout, always. And that puts you on common ground. Like, yeah, maybe you can bench 450 and I can only bench 300, but it's still bench, still both started barely being able to put up 125 or 135, right? So the imposter syndrome thing never hit me because there's immediately that gap of like, oh, you can do this thing at the high level and I was a punter in football, you know, high school football and you're Tiki Barber or, you know, you're Jeremy Shockey or, you know, you're whoever, whoever was I interviewed. Um, the other thing was at that point that I think helps is a lot of these guys were similar to my age. So the reference points were the same. You could make movie mm-hmm, jokes mm-hmm. and pop culture jokes. And, you know, it'd be one thing if I was sitting in a room with Bob Ryan and, and this happened later in my career where I remember, um, I'll jump forward real quick. I got a cover story with Carl Malone and I was going to the Lakers, you know, I covered him. I did the interviews over three home Lakers games and I found myself just at one of the games. This is. I'm going to say 2003, maybe. And it was like, I just happened to be in line with like Michael Wilbon and Jay Adande. And I think, I don't know why, but like Bob Ryan or one of those type guys, big, big time legendary guys was there. And Mm -hmm. I was like, those guys, I was like, I don't belong. Like that's a clear, like, I do not belong Ah, with these guys. I see. There is no way I can write with these guys. I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the knowledge base that they have. That was intimidating of like, just having a conversation, just a casual conversation in a nacho line with Michael Wilbon was intimidating because he knows yeah, everything I yeah. say. He could fact check. He has total, like total recall of the sports. That was one of those moments where it was like, well, that that makes sense though because those are more your 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 competition. That's yeah, and I didn't know, you know, I don't know, I don't have my 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 Achilles heel in all of this is I had do not have an excellent memory um, outside of things that happened to me. Anyone who knows me, any like the instant I'm done with a book. Most of the time, I know stories and stuff, but I don't have the recall. Yeah. The best, these guys like Bob Ryan, they're photographic memories of the games they covered. Yep. You could ask them who pitched and, you know, in the summer or whatever, whatever. It was a big signing in the summer of 87 for the Red Sox. They know this stuff. So for those guys, <laughs> I absolutely had imposter syndrome because not even imposter syndrome, just I'm not as good as you syndrome, whatever you want to call that. Um, but for the interviews and the athletes, I was always very comfortable. I, I can't remember. Even, you know, I'm thinking of the biggest names like, the Michael Jordans and the big, big guys, they, it was just a conversation and it never, you know, you're obviously like in awe. Like I remember 
I covered a Celtics camp and um, I saw, I interviewed Paul Pierce and Antoine Walker. This is back in the day at Waltham, back where they used to have Brandeis, they used to have the thing. And it yeah, was great. Like yeah. Pierce was my favorite player. Like we were the same exact age. It was like, Paul, I got to talk about this. Oh, nice sneakers. Oh, you guys are listening to Nas. Like I knew what's going on there. But then like Bird comes in later and I'm like, oh, like there's, there's an age <laughs> thing. I think you have that. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's like, well, that's yeah. my dad's favorite player. Like, whoa. Right. And I think it's hard. Right. I don't think there's a way to get around that. And I think as I get yeah. older now, it flips. I just don't, I've lost so much interest in talking to like 23 year olds about like, <laughs> and I can tell you a funny story about that later, but like I had a moment where I was like, I don't really want to do journalism anymore. I don't, I'm not waiting till it was oh, real quick. It's a good, cause it, it couples yeah, together. Yeah. So it juxtaposes mm -hmm. the 22 year old me with like the 42 year old me. Yeah. I was covering yeah. the national championship. I think it was 2017 or 18. It was um, when Clemson beat Alabama. No one had beat Alabama. It was a huge win. Hunter Renfro, Sean Watson rolls out, hits Hunter Renfro in the end zone, like 10 seconds left, touchdown. It was, I was on the field. I have video. Like it was a highlight of my career. But then it's like 1.30 in the morning and like all the reporters are around. I'm like sitting around, you know, I have wife and kids at home in Dallas. Like I'm staying with my cousin in, in Tampa, an amazing weekend there. But I'm waiting, I'm tired. Wait, I have like, a, it's like 1.15. I'm waiting for like Hunter Renfro to get out so I can get a quote that every other writer is getting a quote. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm a little too old to really give a shit about what this 21 year old is going to say about a catch he made. I don't care if it's for the national championship. Like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't care. I remember thinking like, I just don't, I care as a fan and I enjoy the hell out of the game, but as a job to be like waiting on, on this guy, on these guys. Yeah. And yeah. then I had another moment like that covering an NBA championship, right? I think I was, the hell was I waiting on? It was a couple years earlier where I started feeling this way. It was when a thunder played the heat. And I remember waiting for like, whatever, Russ Westbrook or James Harden. And I was like, I, I, I have kids now. Like, I don't, this is not, I don't need to hear this. Like, I get it. I, I watch this my whole life. I, I don't need to know the reason why he came off the screen. Right. right. Yeah. And, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. and I know, look, there's guys who do that as they get older and that, that's their thing. But for me, I was like, I have other things I want to cover now. That was fun. And I think those two things matter. It was from like not really having imposter syndrome to feeling on the same level of at least having a conversation to like, well, now I'm just an older guy with kids who doesn't really want to spend my time interviewing like deep insights of a 22 year old about like, yeah, you know? I think the age, that age point is a, is a really good one. I had a similar experience in a totally different industry. So I was in the finance world and I was in a sales role for probably, let's see, 12 years on wall street. Mm. And when I first started, it was like, oh my God, I'm getting to be in the same room with all these famous investors. And I'm, I'm like, it's like the, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the offices of all these hedge funds yeah. uh, that are, you know, really well-known guys are all driving Ferraris and all this kind of stuff. Uh, but there was, but, but the flip side of that was then I think by the time at that point, let's see, I got to my early thirties and it was my job to basically you know, provide really good customer service essentially to like 22, 23 year old kids. Yeah. And I'm like, at some point I'm just like, I just don't care. Well, having kids, having kids changes your mentality. you like completely. That, yeah. That yeah. I and, I, and I was kind of like, you know what? I was looking at that and I'm like, this kid's 10 years younger than me. And I kind of have to kiss his butt. And like, I don't really want to do that. And I'm really not going to want to do that in another 10 years. Yep. And so I got to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. I had already been doing books and other things like it's different. I don't mind it's one thing getting to like, I think it's the, the difference between journalism and writing. So you'd asked about like, you know, cool stories or when I had started. And so the first book that I got to write was Nate Robinson's autobiography. I wrote it with him. Now, you know, he's, he and I are about the same age. So that was a cool thing. But that one, like, 
a book about somebody where you're really diving into their family and who they are and where they're from and kind of really getting to know that that to me was is still interesting right now if there was an incredible 25 oh, yeah. year old i wouldn't think twice about telling their story oh, yeah 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 it's yeah, more yeah. of just the journalism side of the game to game hey there's 17 people here waiting for this quote yeah, i don't need to be yeah. one of them anymore right like that was right. more what it was what it was but for for the stories like the 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 lesson that I always learned was you have to, no one's going to give it to you. No one's going to get, you hear this all the time, but it is true. Uh, you know, when you, you know, where we all follow those, you know, like the, the hype Twitter, the money Twitter, the motivational Twitter, all this stuff. I know you're on there all the time. And like, you have to make your own look. I, I don't know any successful people unless you're just born into this, you know, super successful family. Um, if you didn't have an inroads into the career you're in and you wanted to be there, the common denominator is you made things happen. And so for me, I always want to write books. I was writing big cover stories with national superstar athletes, but nobody, you know, and I thought this would be the case. Nobody's like coming to you like, hey, hey, Finko, like, these are great. Have you, would you, have you thought of writing books? Like, that doesn't happen. Right. I mean, I'm sure for some, I'm sure Bob yeah. Ryan, maybe it happens, but like, wasn't happening for me. And so I would, I kind of became on the lookout for who could I do a book on that would be a kind of a level where they might say yes to give me a shot. And I just happened, I did a story for Yahoo Sports on Nate Robinson. Uh, he'd won this third dunk contest. And it was, it was funny enough, how to dunk from Nate's perspective. Like, how, what are his secrets to dunking? We were doing like. Oh, yeah. Because well, he's only. He's like he's, five nuts. How tall he's, is he? He's yeah, really yeah, five yeah. eight. I mean, he's two inches, three inches shorter than me. But, uh, yeah. but I, did a, I, did a show, I did one on like how to shoot threes with Ray Allen. Like, we were doing this sort of series of like how to get better yeah. at sports with yeah. these elite athletes. I'm a I'm a massive massive Connecticut basketball. Oh, so you fan, love Ray? So he was great. I, 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 yeah, that yeah. was we can talk. That was an amazing afternoon. I just went and shot threes with Ray Allen. It was unbelievable. Um, that's that's. But uh, so I did awesome. the story with Nate, and it just happened that after the article came out, we got along great. By the way, which is another thing. Like, I think like eighty percent of success is just being amicable and friendly and like yep. easy to yep. talk to and not being weird mm -hmm. or nervous or like you know clingy or anything. We just got along. We had the same age, same. You know, he's from Seattle. We couldn't have grown up more different. But we like to say music. I think there was a movie that had just come out that we were both talking about something. Anyway, we got along. And that spring in the playoffs, he had like the playoffs of his life. He was playing for Chicago. Kind of have to be a bit of a kind of a diehard NBA to remember this. But like for a couple, for about a week and a half, he kind of stole the show for the NBA. He outplayed LeBron in the heat for a game. He was player of the week. He like single-handedly had like a 24-point fourth quarter to beat the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs. Like it was unbelievable. Um, and I just was like, God, he has a really incredible story. He's 5'8". He's from Seattle. He got full ride Scott. He was Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football for the state of Washington at 5'8". Mm -hmm. He had full rides wow. in football offered from USC, Michigan, Arizona. Could have gone to play to Pete Carroll with Reggie Bush, like, or basketball. He decides to stay home, play. He's like an incredible athlete his freshman year of football. Easily could have gone to the NFL. Decides to focus on basketball, even at his own height. Gets drafted, plays for the Knicks, becomes a dunk. Like, a crazy story. Very unique. So I just decide, like, I'll be so mad if someone else writes this story. So I am going to write his agent and just throw my hand in the ring. And I have the email. I, I actually did a thread on it, I think, a couple weeks ago. I found the email randomly. I was looking for something else because I was, I was actually texting Nate about something. We've remained friends. And I was like, hey, I found the first email about our book from, like, 2012 or something. Um, and I made a thread about how it happened. And so I wrote his agent was like, this is crazy. It's out of the blue. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but this is why the story is compelling to me. I just did the story with Nate. We get along. I would love to do this if he's ever thought about it. And when the playoffs ended, I texted Nate. I was like, hey, did your agent send you that? And he was like, yes. And they wanted to do it. So everybody got involved and we wrote this book. And 
it was, it was created out of thin air. Maybe he would have done a book someday, maybe not. Maybe somebody yeah. would have reached yeah. out to me along the line and start doing books, maybe not. But you've got yeah. to just get your, get your butt in the ring for anyone to see. If, they don't, if you don't put yourself in that light, people aren't going to see you in that light, whatever the light is you want to shine on you. Nobody saw me as an author because I hadn't read any books. I teen myself yeah. as an author. So I just put it out there. I want to be an author and I want to write this particular book and here's why I'd be great for it. I'd made the case and it worked. Well, that comes back to imposter syndrome. And I think that this, the idea is, you know, I think there's a, there's a tendency for, for everyone to sort of get stuck into, okay, this is my identity. This is who I am. I can't step out of that. And otherwise it's going to be whatever. Yeah. People won't like it or I, I can't do it because I don't have the right education, this and that. Um, I think about that for myself all the time. Like, am I really actually truly you know, pushing myself enough. Um, and so even stuff like this, like this podcast, am I a podcaster? I don't know. I guess I am. A, I guess <laughs> you're, I am you're making a podcast. a podcast. You're a podcaster. That's, <laughs> it's real simple. That's what I always said back then. Like until you write books, you're not an author. Once you write a book, you're an author. Like it's pretty simple, but you have to accomplish the yeah. thing to have it in your belt to say, this is a thing I do. Yeah. I remember. So I've, I've written a couple of books and I remember the first one I was writing, it was just like, uh, I was, I was writing it. It's about these, uh, financial exams that I had taken and I had taken, you know, really, really difficult exams and I failed a bunch of them and I failed and failed and failed and then finally passed. And it was a, kind of a, I, I wrote about it to kind of help other people who are going through that. Mm. But I remember it was almost like this big secret that I was writing this book and I was like, I cannot, you know, I, I didn't feel sure enough of myself about that. I'm an author. Um, and I think something changed when I, when I finally started like making it public to people that I, I finally started telling, you know, extended family and some friends that, Hey, I'm writing a book. And then it was like, and then, Oh, that did another thing is that that ended up putting some public accountability, you know, kind of on me. And yeah. I was like, okay, I just told all these people I'm writing a book. I better damn well write a book. Yeah. I'm, I like the idea of speaking things into existence and putting some pressure on yourself. And I don't know about the mystical spiritual part of speaking things into existence, which a lot of people who I respect and who are smart really believe like mantras, you know, intentions, like really putting it out into the universe, you know, not the secret weird stuff, but like just getting yeah, your yeah. mindset and speaking it and talking about it will make things happen. It may or may not. But I do believe in the idea if you talk about something as if it's something you're doing, not you might do, you will do it versus I might. You know, the people, people who never write a book say, I'd love to write a book. I might write a book one day. People who write books yeah. say, I'm writing a book. And I know it sounds stupid and everybody listening is like, duh. But there are millions yeah. of people who never write a book who just keep saying they're going to write a book. And then there are the thousands of the 1% who just say, I'm writing this book and it's going to be done by June 1st. Those people finish yeah. a book, yeah. and that is a huge difference in your self-talk. Yeah. All right. I have a, approximately 100 questions left for you, but only <laughs> yeah. uh, about 10 or 15 minutes. So tell me, you were going to mention something about what you learned about asking questions. Let's hit that first before we yeah. uh, so, cover a couple other yeah, subjects. Yeah, the questions are important. I, I have had some incredible interviews with, with people of note, from athletes to entrepreneurs to, to big time. You know, I've interviewed Supreme Court justices. I've interviewed big time people. Um, and I've had some horrible ones with those. And the ones that always go bad have two common things. You have low energy and a low knowledge of what you're talking about. And they're not interested. If those two things collide, you are down for a crap interview. I don't care if it's a yes. job interview. I don't care if you're just meeting yep. someone new for a client lead. I don't care yep. if you're having someone yep. try to invest with you. 
if your energy is low and you haven't done your homework and they don't have a hundred percent interest to start out, you might as well not talk. You should honestly just, and I, I've only done this once where I was like, this is, let's do this next week. Yeah. I would yep. rather do that. And as I've gotten older, I probably do it more now, but I remember the instance I did that where I was like, look, you got stuff on your mind. This interview I don't want to be the thing that's a pain in your ass today. Let's do this yeah. next week. And it was, it turned out to be, I don't want to call out the athlete's name, but it turned out to be excellent. They appreciated it. I had driven all the way there. Clearly something was happening in their personal life. And I said, and they were like, all right, how long, how long do you need? The whole, like, you know, just rushed. And I needed mm -hmm. like an hour mm -hmm. and we had scheduled like an yeah. hour. And I started going yeah. and I said, look, man, I don't need to know. I am nobody to you. We're just both on a transactional thing here. You're, you're, you're preoccupied. Just find me an hour next week, solve whatever it is you got to go through, deal with whatever it is. It doesn't matter to me. I'll drive back. I'll get extra time. I don't want this to suck. Um, and I don't want yep. you to feel stressed. Yep. And it worked. It was like, he was like shocked. Like, really? I was like, dude, you're, you're a person. <laughs> I said it like, you're, yeah. you're a person. Like, you're going I, through something. You don't feel obligated to me. And if it doesn't ever work out, you look, you have a long career. We'll circle back another time. Yeah, I, I think that's good advice to sort of recognize your own surroundings or recognize like the vibe you're getting back. This is why I, you know, praised you. Like, do your homework. Like, if you start the interview, if you start a conversation with somebody, it's a conversation that you want to matter and be impactful and you want to make an impression, start with a detail that no one talks to them about. Don't go sit down with an NBA player and talk about the game they scored 57 points. They, have, mm. they are dead with that. Talk about the yep. time when they were in high school and they actually played goalie in soccer that you read about because no one ever cared. Yeah. Or talk about the thing they did when they were seven. You, hey, I was researching. I didn't know that you did X. There, you, you will watch an entire shift. Number one, this person gives a shit. They didn't just yep. show up. They're not just asking me the same stupid questions that I've had a hundred times. They did their homework and tell them. I spent all day yesterday reading about you. I didn't know you did this, this, and this. Oh, you found that out? Yeah, I didn't know you knew this person <laughs> who knew that person. Do your homework. And if you come at it with yep. the energy, I always, if you come at it with those two things, you can either turn around a bad interview or someone that was going to be a good interview. It can be great. And, and by the way, I, I think you said this up front is that I, I would imagine that the more majority of our listeners are not journalists who are going to be interviewing people or even podcasts who are interviewing people, but everybody has to ask questions to somebody. Everybody has to interact with people. So I think these are like universal skills. If you show up to a job interview and your first question is, um, you know, I saw in Q4 that you guys made 12%. It's like, ah, oh, this is guy, like finance guy, whatever. If you show up to John or interview and you're like, hey, you know what? I was following you on Twitter. I, I didn't know that you rode 10K, like you did 10K races. Like what was the hardest one? Mm -hmm. Like I actually did those. Just start on something unique and different. I don't care what right, it is. Right. If you want to, if you're meeting with a client in anything and they're sitting down, they're going to, they think you're going to talk to them about why you're 4% better than the other person they talked about. But you actually went and looked up the things that they do and you found out they write mystery books on the side, right? Or maybe you find out they have a charity that they're really into or that, they, you know, were a diehard, you know, he's simple, a diehard, you know, Expos fan before the Expos moved to, you know, to being international. Whatever, find something and do deal with that. That is such a mm -hmm, massive, mm -hmm. massive thing. And you're right. It does not matter. Sports, journalism, it, everybody talks. And you are going to stand, your stand out so much better from whoever you talk to by actually taking the time and researching what this person is about outside of the conversation they expect you're going to have. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Um, let's talk about motivation. So, so you talked about, um, you know, kind of being self-motivated and maybe to paraphrase a lot of that goes back to, to growing up and, 
you know, your dad kind of kicking you in the butt to get out there to go do, you know, roofing or landscaping or, you know, different types of jobs. And then you kind of being forced to really, you know, scrap it and make it on your own um, with all these, uh, you know, $10 a story publications and all that kind of stuff. So fast forward to today, you're a successful author. You've had incredible experiences uh, over the years um, uh, interviewing all these athletes and, and, and getting to, to write their stories. I'm curious kind of how you motivate yourself today. And actually, I want to call out a tweet that you sent uh, this week. So you put out a uh, tweet with a picture of the books that you've written all stacked on one another. And you said, 400,000 words, proud of them all. I never forget at one point I'd written zero. So talk to me about motivation, uh, both career-wise and also, you know, we, we talked a good bit about fitness. Like, you know, I'm curious how you stay motivated there as well. Yeah, that one's simple. Uh, my son is a little younger than yours. My son's nine and my daughter's 11. And I want to be like strong and jacked to be able to play sports with them as long as I can. I don't, I don't, yeah. I like looking good. I think every, everybody, man, moms and dads, like, you feel, you know, Deion Sanders phrase is like, it, it is true. You look good. You feel good. You play good. You play being life. Like it's true. I want yeah. to be strong. I never wanted to be the dad who was tired on the sidelines. I wanted to coach. I wanted to have the energy yeah. and strength to do it. My son's nine now. We starting to really know how to play hoops. He's starting to know how to throw football around. Like he's picking up stuff easily. You know, I'm 44. Like I, I you know, we're the same age. Like, I don't, I didn't want to be, you know, 44 when I was there, his age was old, right? Like, you know, I look at it, like he'll graduate, you know, high school and I'll be like 52 or three. Like at that age, I still want to be able to shoot hoops and play one-on-one -on -one and do that. So that is a hundred percent my listen, motivation. For, first of all, I'm only 43. Oh, sorry. Okay. So don't right. eat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll be 44 year. in a few months. Okay. I'll be 44 in a few I months. I turned in January. Uh, so we're, we're six months. But we, okay. Okay. But we, we went to, uh, we, we, we ended up going for the third kid. So I now have an almost two-year-old as well. So I have an, I have an, I have an extra incentive to stay. Uh, All right, to so stay you'll end up being you'll have you'll have kids in high school when you're older than I, the age that I will be with the kids leaving high school. Yeah, once I started looking at some of those numbers, there it hurts. I know. You're so, like, wait a minute, I'm going to be 60 coaching. Well, this I just remember team? how's this going to work. I have all these memories of being in high school and playing hoops, and like you know, my dad would come out and basically just shoot foul shots, and like dads were kind of around, yeah. but not really. You know, I don't know. Uh, basketball is an easy barometer in the driveway. It's easy playing catch, but wiffle ball. Like I want to be when my when my kids really have the memories of growing up before they leave the house. I want to be an active yeah. presence in all the sports and physical stuff. So that's my motivation for yeah. fitness. I think that's a good aspiration. Um, yeah. And obviously, yes, yeah, so I'd love to be like a you know Jack seventy five year old walking around. It'd be great. But but really, in the yeah. short Jack Lelane yeah. doing the yeah. one arm like, push I have all these goals for myself <laughs> and swimming and stuff when I'm 50, 60, 70. But for now, it's just that's my number one. Just dad strength yeah. as long as possible so that I can still compete and have fun with my kid. I like um, that. Yeah. On the other side, you know, motivation work-wise, it's like I, I got a late start, honestly. I, I, was, I look at it this way, you know, despite all the stuff that I was able to accomplish in my 20s, I wasn't like financially smart as far as like all the cool stuff I just talked about doing didn't earn me. It wasn't like I was making millions doing it. Like I had right, side right. jobs all the time. I didn't really have an anchor job. I could have done everything I did with like an anchor job at the same time, making decent money, putting things away. So I always look at it like from a maturity standpoint, and I know I'm not alone. I have friends who talk this way too, who some are wildly successful. Like I was like 16 till I was like 29. Like I just was like, oh, that's a cool thing. I'll do, I'll do that. Oh, oh, that's awesome. I'll do that. Never thinking like, well, that might be, you know, you're going to do all of that and that's your paycheck for that month. Like you should right. probably have something else. Like you don't, you know, you're going to eventually have family. You're going to eventually, you should probably 
really just, and so I say 28, 29, because that was when I, for the, all the writing I just mentioned to you going through all the stuff, the first actual staff writing job I took, I was like 28. I stayed yeah. freelance. I moved to LA. I lived in Hermosa Beach. I lived on the beach. I mean, look, it was, it was amazing. I surfed. I played beach volleyball and girls everywhere. Like I lived what I wanted to do for my 20s and it was great. Should I have probably done it for two years instead of eight? Yes, for sure. Right. Like absolutely. <laughs> and should I, I dragged it out longer. Luckily, I met my girlfriend, wife, who's not now married when I was like 28, 29. And she really got my ass in gear with like, you have mm -hmm. to grow up, which is what good wives make you do. Um, and especially if you're not, you know, already like a mature, whatever age you are in your 20s, which I was not. And then fatherhood changes that. So in some ways, like I had to really realize that, yes, the dream pie in the sky artist, like, hey, I just want to write books and sell millions and that's it or write movies. And it's mm -hmm. not that way. Mm -hmm. Once I got into my 30s, I realized, you know what? I have a skill. Like I can make a lot of money doing content, like copywriting or creative advising mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. being a director of a publishing company or, you know, running media, which is what I did for the College Football Hall of Fame for three or four. Like there's big time jobs that pay well that aren't just beat writing and aren't just writing yeah. the stories. And, and I opened my mind up to that when I was in my 30s. Like, guys, it's not that long ago. And that really changed everything for me. It became more of a, a career, a mature career where book decisions were financial decisions where things, you know, of course I, I skip, still give my latitude, myself latitude to do stuff. That's cool. I always call it that. Like, you know what? This is no money, but yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Like I'm going to yeah, the national yeah, championship. Yeah, yeah. It's not, it's nothing. Yeah. It's a hundred dollar story, but I'm going to go and do this or that or cover this thing. Um, but it's, I'm able to do that now because I paid attention and figured it out. So to me, that's yep. really where yep. it, where it shifted. The motivation was a little bit of catch up. And then I have, you know, big, big goals. Like the books that I've done are great. And I'm proud of all of them. As, as that tweet said, I have a book of ideas that every author or creative person has, and I really haven't scratched the surface of them. There's, there's novels I want to write. There's sci-fi cool ideas I have. There's movies I might want to try. There's, there's documentaries I think I want to try to get into. So, you know, to really accomplish all of those things is, uh, it, it is great. And who knows how many I'll get to, but to me, what motivates me is getting as many of those done and done well um, as I can. There's a quote from uh, um, Stephen Kotler, who's written books about this concept of flow states that comes to mind. And he says, um, yeah. uh, curiosity is free energy. And so when I hear you talk about, I've got this, you know, list of books and movies and all these ideas that that tells me that, you know, you're genuinely interested in this. And that is like a massive natural tailwind behind you, right? So it's like, you're not necessarily having to draw on energy reserves to, to pursue this work. Like you're pushed in that direction. Yeah. And I, you know, I like other things. I've, as I've gotten older, I, I never understood the phrase, like give yourself permission till I got probably like into my forties where what it means, it isn't like this lame thing where you've been locking yourself up, but it's like, I've always been into fitness. I've written for every fitness magazine on earth. Like I like supplements. I've been doing a lot of consulting with a couple of like brands here in Florida that I really want to get more involved in. It isn't, you know, in my mind, it used to be like, well, then what about books or what about, you know, this article or this kid's book idea I have? Like, you know, I look at, you know, we mentioned, you know, some of these people that you talk about athletes or mentioned Rogan or whatever you want to talk about, but people are into a lot of totally different fields. Um, yep. You know, Jocko and these guys who you see on Twitter all the time, pushing all the stuff they're doing. It's like they have protein shakes and they have a podcast and they have books and they have kids books and they have speaking. And I look mm -hmm. at all these guys mm -hmm. and I'm like, that's the way to go. Explore. If you can explore all of your interests, not to the fullest maybe, but 
you know, I may spend a lot of time working in a fitness thing coming up that I really want to do. And yeah, it, maybe it'll yeah. take away from doing all the books that I want to do. But what it will really do is make me prioritize the ideas that I'd make sure that I want to make sure I get to. Right. So like 1996, circle all the way back. That had a light. I wanted to do a book on that on the 25th anniversary of 1996, which was last year. I had this idea since like, who knows, 2012, 13. We pitched it. We pitched it. I wanted to do this book. This was like a big priority. I would, I didn't have to take a loss, but I would have taken a loss for a publisher. I didn't want to do this one myself because I really wanted shelf space and all these kind of things. And it mm -hmm. worked out. And mm -hmm. that to me was, it was like freeing because that was like a big tentpole. Like when I look back when I'm 70, like I did the definitive sports book on this era and I really think it's going to age that well. Um, and so when I got that done, it like kind of freed me up mentally to like, okay, what's the next couple things like that? One of them is the kids' books. Another yeah. is this kind of thing. And another mm -hmm. is things outside mm -hmm. of writing. Well, I'll, I'll just say on that front, I, the conventional wisdom um, for creators is, you know, kind of niche down, like find your niche, yeah. right? And there's there's riches in niches or whatever, yeah, whatever you want to sure. say, right? Um, for me, I, I is, you know, as I create a newsletter, as I create this podcast, like, I, I kind of know that that's the conventional wisdom, but at the same time, I'm like, I just can't do it because I'm interested in talking to you about, you know, everything that we just talked about today, but then I'm interested in talking to, you know, a behavioral economist sure. about burnout and going into like the science of that. And like, so I put everything I do under this kind of self-improvement umbrella, but that's, you know, if you are purely following like the conventional wisdom or advice out there, I think that's, that's probably not. It may be good to start, niche. right? Like you have to start somewhere. So it's like, okay, I'm going to spend the next six months making a name for myself in behavioral science, whatever. Yeah. But I'm also yeah. a dad and I'm also into this stuff. So for me, it's like, you know, I wrote for men's health, men's fitness, muscle. I can't erase that. Like I really was into the fitness and the workouts and the training yeah. and all that. Yeah. I also wrote for you. sports and all these athletes and all these things and all that kind of stuff. And at the same time, you know, um, I know how to write. Like I did journalism, real journalism on real stories. And I know, so, you know, and then fatherhood, which I enjoy writing. I did a book, Life of Dad. Like you're not going to look and have a great opportunity and be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not in my lane. Like you're not, yeah, you're not yeah, a politician yeah, yeah. where it's like, oh, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't, the voters aren't going <laughs> to like that. Right. Just right, do it. Right. You might find that there's a whole group of people who want to hear your thoughts on fatherhood as I did when I started getting into writing about dad stuff and sharing my dad experiences. So I think it's healthy to explore stuff. It's healthy to fail. It's healthy to decide I'm going to try to do this. And after a year, be like, well, nobody cares about my opinion on that. I'll just uh, stow that away for a while. I'll just talk about that with my family. Right. Like, it's okay to do all that. And I think a lot of that does come when you get older and you're more comfortable with yourself, um, where there's not like a humiliation, where there's almost like a badge of honor where it's like, hey, I wrote this or I tried this or I did this. It didn't work, but this is what yeah, I learned yeah. and, and now I'm moving on. Yeah, exactly. All right. Speaking of moving on, I know you need to move on with your day here. So I'm going to get you get you done with this conversation. Um, my last question is kind of my standard closing question. And it's a little bit I'm going to apologize in advance because it's a little deep for a, for something where we're trying to get you out the door. But um, but uh, is there something that you have figured out uh, in your 44 years of life uh, that you think maybe most others have not quite gotten their heads around yet? My answer to that is I think there is no honor in holding on to stupid opinions. I, when I was a kid and you, know, you hear about whether it was politicians or whoever, You'd hear them like for 50 years, they've been, now there's obviously right or wrong. And there's certain things like, you know, kidnapping, we're never going to evolve on that. That's not, right. <laughs> but like when you have a long held belief on just like me about work, like I'm just going to be writing books or, or if it's a personal yeah. thing, like this is how fatherhood is done. Or I don't believe this kind of thing. Um, 
you start defending it when you're older. You ex your life experience, what you see, what you read. I read a ton of books. If you read a lot of books and you're not changing your mind all the time on things and you're not reading the right way, you don't just read to confirm mm. your opinion. If you're reading biographies, especially, you're always going, I had no idea that's how that started. Or I didn't know this person was involved in this. Or, I didn't know this person went through that. You'll have sympathy and empathy. And I think people like to say that they've been on the right side of something for the longest, even with stupid things like, oh, I listened to that band when they were whatever. Mm, it's okay mm -hmm. to be like, I was an idiot for like eight years. And then I read this book and I now know this. And that was dumb of me. I was completely uninformed. And I think to me, that's the big one is too many people that I see when you really drill down and ask them why they think that way, it's the worst answer in business because I've always felt that way or we've always done it that way. If you go, hey, have you read this, this, and this? No. Well, read those three. And if they don't want to, they don't want to. But, you know, I recently, probably the last four or five years, started changing my mind on a lot of things across the board, little things, big things, because I've been <laughs> reading more than ever, because I had kids and they ask you questions and force you to, I'm not talking again about major geopolitical issues, but they force you to justify why certain things are. Right, Sometimes you right. just have to look at your eight-year-old and be like, I don't, I, I actually don't know. You're right. I have no good thing to say here. You maybe think <laughs> about this. And I actually don't think because I said so. Yeah, is not yeah, you know, I answer, yeah, yeah, and 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 they, kids are the great. They 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 make you think as goofy, and sometimes as you look at them and think like, where did that thought get in your head? They make you put some of your longest held things on trial, even if it's about sports. Why do we do this? I don't yeah. know. Why do I practice yeah, so yeah. much? I don't know. Yeah, and um, and to me, that question that's what jumped in my head was just, it's cool to actually think and read. And if someone says, well, yeah. you always that guy who believed in this, and you go, yeah, well. I read these three books and I've been following this guy who's an expert and I was an idiot. Like I was coming at this from no knowledge. I have knowledge now and I'm doing a complete 180 and it doesn't matter the issue. <laughs> Getting more informed and changing your mind, again, could be anything. Mm -hmm. uh, people always go to politics, but that's not what I'm talking about. It, it yeah, could be anything yeah. at all. Uh, being well-read on something and well-informed and reversing your opinion is totally natural and actually is what everybody does. It's not the people who stay ignorant all the time. Yeah, yeah. That's a great one. Um... It's so funny that you mentioned that because I'm writing an article at the moment. I was just writing it uh, yesterday morning about this idea of kind of evolving our identities over time. And this this idea that, you know, our identities, you know, this is who I am. This is the role that I serve. This is the opinions that I have. I think there's a the common view is probably that it's a pretty fixed thing. Um, but you know, my perception and, and I th it sounds like yours as well is, is that that's not the case and that, you know, we can and really should be constantly Look, you create a simple person i know i have to go but you create yourself for my 20s i slept in i got up i worked out at lunch when i play basketball in the afternoon the idea of waking up at 5 or 5 30 to work out was stupid i know i have quotes from people saying like you know because i was a swimmer i was oh i'm never going to get up early again like i did it when i swam i hate it i'm sleeping in at some point you have kids things are busy i want to get the workout done it's priority to me now I am the guy who gets up at 5.30 to work out. I'm the guy for, for like a decade of my life I made fun of, I thought was stupid, just figure it out later on in the day, whatever. You create yourself. I'm that guy now. Why? Because I decided to be that guy. Complete reverse. I never would have done yep. it. Yep. I didn't want to do it. And now people, you know, on Twitter or whatever, my friends, family make fun of me. I don't care. I'm the early morning workout guy who's like, yeah, get up, get after it. Who, when I was 20. Hey, you're inspiring me every day with those pictures you're posting from the Flex Factory. I, I, I appreciate it. it. But that that's the thing that's like, that simple thing, think magnify that times real big things. You just choose yeah. to be the person that you now makes sense for you. Obviously, within bounds of you know your actual personality, you can't just become yeah, someone yeah. different. 
But in terms of the habits and the things that you actually do with your time, you can 100% decide tomorrow, I'm going to be a mountain climber and then just start training for it and climb mountains. Love it. Love it. All right, John, we're going to get you on your way. We're, uh, before we go, and thank you so much for making time for this. This is an awesome conversation. I've, I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, uh, where can people find you? Uh, yeah, Twitter, Twitter, Instagram, both at John, J-O-N underscore Finkel, F-I-N-K-E-L. And then my website, johnfinkel.com. It has everything that I do, but pretty active on Twitter. I, I've, I've, you talk about niche down, like I pretty much ignored all the other platforms. I, I don't do TikTok. I don't do LinkedIn. I barely do Instagram or a little bit, maybe once a week. But like I decided Twitter is the one I enjoy the most. Um, I'm yeah. not trying to be all things. I don't have a media team. I'm sure you don't either. Like at some point you just got to be like, this is the one I like. It's the one I'm most native to. It's writing. It's words mostly. Um, yeah. So yeah. you're not going to find me on TikTok. You're not going to find me uh, <laughs> on some of these things. But t- Twitter is the way to go. TikTok scares me. I got to be honest with you. I posted a, a short clip for one of these podcasts on TikTok and it got like 800 views right away. And I was like, that's exciting. But then I was like, who the hell is on TikTok watching this? And their comments are weird. I think I posted like, a while back. Like, kind it's of totally okay to not be into stuff. I don't know about NFTs. Yeah. I don't know. I have never done Wordle. Don't worry. You, I've got an episode on that, John. You can oh, go no, back I'm not saying I won't ever, but I'm saying I'm not, I'm oh, not yeah, like, yeah. I don't feel that FOMO of like, I really got to figure this crypto thing out right now. Like right now. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, in yeah, time, yeah, I'll yeah, figure it out. Yeah. 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 All right. Listen, uh, for our listeners, you can find all John's info in the show notes. We'll, we'll have his Twitter handle, uh, Instagram and, um, uh, website. And, uh, uh, I've read 1996, a biography. It's awesome. If, especially if you are that vintage, if you were in high school or coming of age in the nineties, it is such a fun trip through that era. I just love it. Um, and I can't wait to dive into more of your stuff, John. So thanks again for joining me. This was uh, really awesome and, uh, and, uh, have a great rest of your day. All right, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey everyone, it's Greg again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with John Finkel. What a fun and seriously genuine guy. I really enjoyed that. Um, And John, special congrats to you. This is the first episode that I will have to categorize in the explicit category. So uh, congratulations on that achievement, sir. Uh, As mentioned, check out the show notes for links to John's Twitter and website. And uh, hey, go check out some of John's books while you're at it. He's a talented author. And particularly for anyone interested in sports, I really do think that you will enjoy his work. Um, Before you go, remember to check out Intentional Wisdom, the newsletter. It's one email every other Thursday with the best of what I'm learning from thoughtful people just like John. Lastly, I'm hoping for more ratings and reviews of this podcast on platforms like Apple and Spotify. So if you want to help me out, please go there, leave a rating, leave a review, whatever you want to do, I would appreciate it. So thank you very much in advance. That is it for today. Thank you so much for listening and I will see you next time.